Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks for joining us here for episode 632. We've got Dave Crenshaw back. And he is talking about how to reclaim a whopping 40, four zero hours every month. It's exciting stuff. Uh, the time that is just hiding, how to snag it. So you'll learn one, the right and wrong way to multitask. Two, why we love to switch tasks and how you break that habit. And three, how a 2% increase in productivity can in fact make all the difference. So if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items we've referenced, you'll find them at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F632. If you're listening to this episode fresh in January 2021, it's totally ad-free as a way to say thank you and welcome new listeners who like to show up in January, I've noticed historically. So I'm going to give a, a one-minute rundown of some cool stuff new listeners might want to know about. Old listeners, you might skip ahead a minute or here, a little refresher for cool stuff that we have. And here's the spiel. One, welcome. I am delighted to have you here. I recommend you check out some of the very first episodes labeled episode zero, start here, and A, B, C, D, E, F, which you can find quickly by either pushing subscribe in your podcast app player or sorting old to new in order to get there quickly. Sometimes they hide the, the older versions based on some software things, but those are great ways to get oriented to uh, what the show is all about and the kind of stuff that we cover as opposed to jumping right in the middle, although you're welcome to do that too. We've got a ton of nifty resources over at awesomeatyourjob.com, such as the Gold Nugget Summaries, which is an email you can read in about two to three minutes each time a new episode comes live, as well as access to the archive or vault of, of every one of these summaries we've written up for each of the guests. So that's handy. And you can also search the full text transcripts at awesomeatyourjob.com. Uh, find any episode you need based on the tagging of the topic and subtopic and competency covered and just a lot of great stuff to make the most of your fun learning action with awesomeatyourjob.com. Now, enough about us. Let's hear about Dave. Dave Crenshaw develops productive leaders in Fortune 500 companies, universities, and organizations of every size. He's appeared in Time Magazine, USA Today, Fast Company, and the BBC News. His courses on LinkedIn learning have been viewed tens of millions of times. His five books have been published in eight languages, the most popular of which is called The Myth of Multitasking, a time management bestseller. As an author, speaker, and online instructor, Dave has transformed the lives and careers of hundreds of thousands around the world. Big thanks to Dave for sharing his wisdom with us. And big thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. One sponsor to check out is LinkedIn Jobs. Did you know that you can post a job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome? And with a fresh year, perhaps you're like many small business owners looking for some fresh insight and talent to make 2024 extra amazing. Well, LinkedIn Jobs has created tremendous tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and free. I love how they make it so easy with their promotion and selection tools. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. No, no, no. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Here's some fun facts. 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash awesome. That's linkedin.com slash B-E-A-W-E-S-O-M-E, as in you are being awesome, be awesome, to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Now, here's Dave. Dave, thanks so much for joining us again on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Hey, I'm thrilled to be back, Pete. Well, you know, last time we talked about having fun and how that's super important. And I tell you what, your words come back to me frequently when I'm like having fun in the middle of the workday on a break. I was like, <laughs> is this appropriate? It's like, you know, Dave said it's going to make me better. So yes. thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me, how are you having fun these days? Well, I take July and December off now every year. Oh, there you go. Well done. So I just came off of a nice long December break, spent some time hanging out with the kids. Uh, I may or may not have played a little too much Xbox. So I'm feeling good. I'm feeling rested and ready to go. Did you get the new Xbox? I did. I did too. I <laughs> made, that a, <laughs> made that a priority. 
Uh, well, well, kudos. Those were hard to snag for a little while there. Yeah. Well, let's talk about multitasking. So you've got your second edition here coming out, The Myth of Multitasking. I want to really dig deep into this. First of all, what's the big idea here? What is the myth of multitasking? The myth of multitasking is that multitasking simply does not exist, not in the way that people think about it. The word is an inelegant and improper word to describe various things that could be happening. So what uh, I cover in the book is helping people understand what really is occurring in their day when they try to do multiple things at the same time and identify whether they're being productive when they do it or whether they're really screwing things <laughs> up while they're tra- attempting it. Oh, well, I, I love the way you teed that up. This, it sounds like there's some nuance and some distinguishing to be done, which is why I, I wanted to have this conversation with you because th- that's kind of come up before a bit, but I think we can drill really deep here. So yeah. if multitasking isn't the appropriate term, what alternatives do you think we might and should be using? Sure. So what I present in the book is that one of two things are happening. Either you are switch tasking or you are back tasking. Switch tasking is when you're switching attention. You're switching between listening to this podcast and answering an email. You're switching between having a conversation with someone at work and uh, thinking about the unresolved uh, laundry that you left at your house. And every time you switch your, your attention from one thing to something else, you pay a cost associated with that. So switch tasking is always ineffective and we can go more into depth on that. The other is back tasking. That's where something mindless, mundane, or automatic is occurring in the background. For instance, I'm listening to this podcast while I'm exercising, right? Hopefully at this point, I don't have to pay attention to how I run on the treadmill. I can focus on Pete talking. And that can be productive. The problem is, first of all, most people are using one word to describe multiple options. So they say multitasking, and we create a lot of confusion when people use that word. And when people say they're a good multitasker, most often they are talking about switch tasking. And saying that you're a good switch tasker is like saying I'm excellent at screwing up multiple things at the same time. Okay. Ooh, strong words. So that seems to be the core distinction. So so back tasking means something is so automatic it can be done in the background and requires no attention. Right. And, and thusly, we're pretty much only really doing one thing as far as our attention is concerned. Correct. And, and that also includes things like starting the printer, printing a job, delegating a task to a coworker. Basically, something else is occurring that doesn't require any effort from you. That can be productive. And that should be encouraged. But that's not what most people are doing. I mean, you, you see how people are behaving in the workplace and in their day, especially now that so many people are working from home. And what are they doing? They're constantly switch tasking and they're telling themselves, I'm multitasking, I'm being productive. But what's really happening is things are taking longer, they're making more mistakes, and they're increasing their stress levels. Okay. And I like the term back tasking, it's short for background things happening in, in, uh, as you're tasking. Yes. And indeed, when you mentioned the printer, I think that's a great example because I, I have, sometimes I feel euphoric. I mean, it's a strong word, but <laughs> like if, if I have, let's say I got some, I got dishes being cleaned by the uh, dishwasher. I got clothes being cleaned by the washing machine. I've got a vacuum robot going and I'm doing something else. I, really, I mean, yeah. that's like nirvana for me in a productivity nerd kind of a way. Well, and you even have your podcast working for you. Wow. That's true. People are listening. I mean, you've got a podcast working for you right now while we're recording this podcast. So that's effective backtasking. That's totally true. Thousands of listeners as I sleep, I get a kick out of it when I see people but I, like sometimes I'll refresh and I see downloads happening like at late night on like a holiday or oh, something. Oh, well, we got to talk about that. That's a different issue altogether. Like I shouldn't be refreshing my podcast stats on a holiday. <laughs> Correct. Yes, that's that's something else. <laughs> that's switch tasking on yeah. your holiday. See, it is back tasking because it's taking care of it. But the moment you jump in and start looking at it, now you're switch tasking. Yeah, well, I, I guess... Fair enough. I'm just going to let that go. (laughs) It's not about me. It's about the listeners. Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, then, so the book, it's on the second edition here. Are there new discoveries that you've made associated with multitasking? Lay it on us. Sure. Well, okay. So the book first came out in 2008. 
And you think about where we were and what we were doing in 2008. You know, something like a Twitter was just barely starting to surface at that time. And in fact, this is this shows how dated the the original version was. The, the original version had a BlackBerry on the cover, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> and now you think about how powerful the phones are that we use. You know, one of my one of my favorite comedians, Gary Goldman, says calling an iPhone a phone is like calling a Lexus convertible a cup holder. Uh-huh. And we've we've got these devices that are constantly vying for our attention. And then on top of it, in the workplace, you know, since we're talking about how to be awesome at your job, in a work context, there are so many different channels of communication that people are using. They're using Slack, they're using text message, they're using Skype, they're using Zoom. And so when we have all these channels of communication, we're creating lots and lots of different ways that we could switch tasks in our day. So I had to make some updates and some adjustments to address, in particular, that issue, the channels of communication. A lot of other things are still the same. The tendency that we have to have a conversation with a human being while we're tempted to look at our phone, that's always uh, been there. It's just maybe a little stronger than it used to be. So some things have changed radically and some things have stayed the same or just gotten more intense in their, their impact on our day. Okay. Well, now let's really zoom in on the comment associated with if someone says they're good at multitasking, they're really good at screwing up uh, multiple things at the same time. So, all right, lay it on us. Many people really do think they're good at multitasking. Are you going to tell them their their own experience is wrong, Dave? How do you (laughs) counter that? Well, honestly, the best way that I have to counter it, and it's not going to work well in the podcast, but I can tell people where they can get it. And of course, it's in the book. There's an exercise that I do. I do it in my uh, live presentations. I do it in the book. And if you go to davecrenshaw.com forward slash exercise, you can find it. And I do an exercise in the book uh, where first someone performs a task. It's just simple, just copying numbers and letters, right? And they focus on that for 30 seconds and they do it and they see how long it takes. And then we do it again, but this time we, we switch task. So for, for instance, if I was just doing the alphabet, I would write A and then I would write one and then I'd write B and then I'd write two. And that simple exercise does far more to convince someone than me rambling on for 30 minutes about the scientific studies. And, and there's a mount, a amount of scientific evidence that shows that it's less effective. But when you get someone to experience firsthand how much they screw things up doing the most simple thing in the world, it opens people's eyes. The truth is right in front of them and they can't hide from it. And what you'll see is, first of all, everything takes longer and they, the mistakes, people start you know, just writing weird numbers and letters and they're crossing things out and they're going up and down and their work just goes all over the place. And then how they feel the stress impact of that. And when you experience it that, that firsthand, it opens your eyes. And then you start thinking about what your workday is like and why at the end of the day you feel so stressed out and why you feel like you didn't really accomplish anything that whole day. And it's simply because you were switching rapidly throughout the day between all these different activities. You know, I have seen uh, one of your videos in which you did that that exercise and, and, and it is, you're right, seeing is believing in terms of like you, you feel it and then, so so folks might counter that by saying, well, you know, I never really actually have to list the letters and the numbers in order while alternating. So uh, can you drop some additional sort of uh, research studies in terms of like, like maybe just how... How can we convincingly, compellingly prove that this is a big deal? It's not like you're, I don't know, 3% less effective, oh, but rather massively less effective when you multitask. Yeah. Well, okay. So just, just a few things to consider. You know, there was a study by Rescue Time that, that found that the average number of minutes a worker can go until checking their email or instant messages. So that's excluding all the other things like other people interrupting them. Six minutes. No kidding. Every six minutes, on average, someone checks their email or instant messages. Then you consider that there's a cost associated with that. It's not just the check, right? You got to look at it and then you've got to remember, where was I? Right? 
I could be in the middle of writing an email and then another email comes in or a text message. So I stop. I look at the text message. I read it. I go, okay. And they're answering. They're asking me this question. I say, all right. I type back. The answer is 42. I send it back. Now what do I need to do? Now I have to return to the email I was writing. I have to reread everything that I was doing. I have to get my train of thought back to that frame of reference. And then I can start working again. Another study uh, out of Michigan State found that just under a three-second interruption doubles the likelihood of making a mistake. Just three Mm. seconds. And this is an impact that everyone is experiencing constantly. It's why I, I, I paraphrase Mark Twain and I say, there are lies, damned lies, and multitasking. Because it's a lie that everyone lives. We live it constantly throughout our day. And the beautiful thing, though, is if you can reduce it, that's really where the evidence comes from, is when you start to cut down on these switches and you start to feel sanity return to your day. And you start to realize, wait a minute, I can get done everything that I was getting done in about a quarter less time. I've had clients who you know go through my training and I'll tell them, when you go through this training, you're going to recover about 40 hours every single month. And they go, they think that's insane. That's, that's an unbelievable claim. And I used to hear it coming out of my mouth and say it's an unbelievable claim. But I have had people literally tell me, Pete, they, they say, I thought you were crazy. Now it's three o'clock in the afternoon. I don't know what to do with myself. <laughs> and it's simply Whew. by reducing one thing. By reducing the switches that take place in your day, you reclaim that much time. That is striking. Well, maybe could you share with us maybe a particular success story that that 3 p.m. that that drives it home in terms of it being real, in terms of really painting a picture for what was this person's you know life and work like before? What did they start doing differently? And then what results did they see from that? Yeah. Well, in that case. And I don't have direct permission from this individual to use his name. You can so I'll call him name. Hank. Okay. Yeah. Hank, a uh, real estate professional, you know, very well respected, successful in his industry, but just burning the candle at both ends, working long hours, feeling stressed out constantly. And that's why he brought me in was to help him. And this was back when I did it in person. Now, now my, my training is on LinkedIn learning, which you're very familiar with. But, you know, he brought me in to help him with this. And what we did is we started to look at how many different interruptions he was getting in his day. And we were saying, okay, which of these are absolutely necessary? Because you can't get rid of all switches. I never make that claim and no one should ever think that that's what I'm saying. But what you can do is you can implement strategies to reduce the number of switches. Which of these interruptions can wait? Rather than leaving my phone on 24-7 and setting an expectation that I'm going to answer every time you call, what if I check my messages every hour on the hour? Then we think about that, especially like in a real estate business, that reduces the number of switches by an order of magnitude. I mean, now we've cut it down by 50% or more, the number of interruptions that are taking place in your hour. If you, you know, he said, rather than checking email constantly, that's what most people do, right? Either their phone notifies them or they're constantly hitting send and receive uh, sitting at their desktop computer. And if instead we say, here is a scheduled time in my day, three times in my day, when I'm going to check my email, that kind of stuff cuts down. And so it was little strategies like that that I implemented with him that just stacked on top of each other and helped him realize, wait a minute, I can perform much more productively if I start to emphasize my ability to focus. Okay. Well, that's exciting. And So let's hit the word cost for me here. You say when we do a switch, we incur a cost. Yeah. Tell me, what are the types of costs and and just how costly is it? Sure. We heard about making more mistakes and taking longer. Do we have any quantification on any of that? Yeah. Well, the quantification really depends upon the individual. Some people pay less cost than others. The bargain shoppers. (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, and, you know, there's a question that often gets brought up about the statement that women can multitask and men can't, right? And There have been studies into this. Some will say there's no uh, difference at all. I've seen some that say less. I have consulted a lot of uh, female executives, business owners. And what I would say from my experience is that women do incur less switching costs than men do. But there's a problem with that statement. 
they're still incurring switching cost. And what is that cost? Yeah, more than zero. Yeah, it, yeah. What is the cost? It's the amount of time that it takes to recover the mental recovery time, sometimes even the physical recovery time of locating the thing that you set down and forgot where it was. There are a handful of costs that we incur every time we switch our attention. Even if, I mean, and this is, this is a funny thing. This shouldn't surprise you as someone who wrote a book called The Power of Having Fun. One, occasionally I'll recommend that people practice learning how to focus simply by just watching a show on Netflix but doing nothing else. As I say that statement, I know that there's probably half your audience that feels tension at the thought of that, right? No snacks, no bathroom, no no texting. Well, okay, bathroom, we'll let that go. Well, you could do that before or after the show, I think. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But what about not media multitasking? What about not looking at your phone while you're doing it? What about not looking up on IMDb? Who's that actor that I've seen before <laughs> while I'm watching it? Our brains have become so conditioned and hardwired to jump from task to task, from thought to thought, that we are creating a situation where we are perpetuating switch tasking in everything that we do. And so... There's the other part of it, which is the, the amount of time that we gave, gain, but it's also the amount of stress that we relieve when we stop behaving like we're a CPU that's being overclocked. Okay. Well, and so then any, any sense for how many minutes that is? I, I heard one study, I think it was from Microsoft, that when you entertain an email interruption, it could take like 24 minutes to get back to what you were doing. Yeah. Is that valid or are there other stuff in that ballpark? I, I imagine it, you said it does vary from person to person, but I, I would just love it if, if there's anyone on the fence, if we can just nail them with a number. <laughs> Well, yeah, I've seen that study from Microsoft. It's, it's pretty old and I see that it still gets cited. One thing to keep in mind with that study is they're talking about software programmers. So it was okay, the amount sure. of time that a programmer took to recover. And that is extremely high for intense tasks like that. Yeah, you're deep into it. You know, I can tell you like the U of U, uh, University of Utah, they, they have a great department by uh, David Strayer uh, where they do a lot of studies. They found that just issuing a voice command to a car while you're driving, it can take 27 seconds to regain your attention. So hmm. the answer to that, I wish I could give you a hard number, but I can't because it varies according to the individual and it varies according to the task that they're performing, both the switch that occurred and the thing that they were doing before. But I can tell you that Basex Research did a study a while back, and I, I still find this number to be pretty accurate which is that the average knowledge worker loses 28% of their day due to interruptions and the recovery time associated with those interruptions. I would say that it's probably closer to over 30 at this point, just based on my field experience. So again, we go back to that question. If you reduce the switches, you can reclaim 40 hours every single month. That is an entire work week every single month. Where does that come from? It's the reduction in switching cost. Okay, powerful stuff. So then. Okay. First of all, why do we do this to ourselves then? <laughs> I mean, I think some people even know it's destructive and we continue to do it. It's almost like it feels good or we just got a curiosity that we want to scratch. What's going on inside our brains? Yeah. Well, an example of that is that if you haven't seen the documentary on the social dilemma, that is extremely eye-opening. And it talks about how even some of the things that we use, like with social media, are deliberately created to be compulsive and to feel that we must do them. So part of it is the, the ghost in the machine. It's what's been created that's doing this. Part of it, though, is just uh, human behavior. There's a, a psychological concept called variable reward ratio, and it's the same thing that drives uh, compulsive gambling. It's the same thing that drives people pulling the, the lever or pushing the button on the slot machine. And the idea is that sometimes you're going to get a payoff and sometimes you aren't. And that is very attractive to the human mind. We like the randomness of it. And so it becomes, we want to keep pushing the button. Am I going to get at the jackpot? Well, what's the equivalent in our workday? I'm going to hit send and receive. You know, Maybe someone's going to say yes to my proposal. Maybe I'm going to get something from a Nigerian prince that's going to make me you know, millions of dollars. 
Whatever it is, we we know that it's not going to pay off most of the time, but the fact that it might pay off is enticing. The fact that you might see that you got a whole bunch of new subscribers to your podcast, going back to that example, right? Mm -hmm. So we have to start conditioning ourselves to be okay with silence to be okay with not getting an answer. And there's a, there's another concept that I teach elsewhere where I talk about the missing minute and restoring that minute to your day, meaning giving yourself just 60 seconds for nothing. I guarantee people are going to listen to this podcast. They're going to get done with the podcast and they're going to do one of two things. They're either going to jump back to work or they're going to click the button and go to the next thing. Now that's great for you to get views, but it's not necessarily serving them as much as it could be if they just stopped, set a timer for 60 seconds and just sat with it. Just told the brain, it's okay. It's okay that you're doing nothing right now. And the more that you create little pockets like that in your day, the more you start to realize I am in control and you can retake that control 60 seconds at a time. Mm, that is inspiring. Well, Dave, perfect transition. Uh, I think we've built a real good why. So let's really rip into the how. Okay. W what are some of the, the top sort of high impact, high leverage practices we could engage in to, to help us uh, reclaim control here? So one of them is, is taking a 60 second breather to do nothing. I love it. What else? Yeah. And by the way, I like to think of these, I call these switch busters. I like the, the show Mythbusters. I know mm. it's, it hasn't been around as much for a Somehow while. Somehow it just seems up your alley. I, I don't know you super well, Dave, but it just <laughs> seems right that when you say that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so these are, these are little things that you can do to reduce the number of switches in your day. Not, no one of them alone is going to solve the problem, but all of them together start to really build a, a nice big strategy for reducing uh, switches. So yeah, we've talked about that. I also mentioned about setting a schedule for when you're going to check your email. That In that case, if someone's taking six minutes, every six minutes, they're checking their email, their instant messages. Even if we can cut that down to every hour on the hour, we've reduced the number of switches that you're making by, you know, 60% or more making a big, big drop. That's like 70 a day. Yeah. Nine eliminated times eight hours. There you go. There you go. Yeah. So now we just do it eight times a day or even better. What about three? What about the beginning lunch and the end of the day? What if it's less than that? I, and you can only someone listening to this can answer that question for themselves because every industry is different, right? But the, the question I would ask yourself is, how long can I reasonably go? What is the longest that I can go without damaging my career, without making things hard on my customers and my coworkers? What's the longest I can go? And whatever that is, create a schedule and start using that schedule. And I'm going to pause for a second and teach a different principle that's really important, which is there's no such thing as a perfect system. There's only the next draft, meaning just try something. It doesn't have to be perfect. In fact, don't try to make it perfect. Just try something, give it a go, and then make an adjustment after a week or two and then tweak it again. You know, maybe you went to three times a day and that was not enough. So maybe you go to four times a day or something like that. If it doesn't work, that doesn't mean that the principle is broken. It just means that your system needs a little bit of adjusting. Mm -hmm. That's good. Well, and I'd love to get your view uh, right now, I'm thinking of, of a lawyer friend of mine. I think we talked about something like this once. And he said, yeah, that's really just not an option for me to ignore the partner's email to me, an associate, uh, for uh, a full day. And, and so I guess your response would be, well, well, hey, maybe it's a half a day or a quarter of a day or an hour, but it's something other than nonstop checking. Yeah. Any pro tips on, on how we can sort of help shape our environment in terms of like the people and, and, and the messaging we convey to them. Yeah. So that's another switch buster. In fact, that's the one that I really key in on in the second edition, which is having a conversation about channels. One problem we run into in a variety of areas at work is the assumption of common sense. <laughs> and we believe that everyone should have common sense, but common sense is not common. Common sense is the result of repeated life experience. The easiest example of that is it is common sense, me being an American, that cars belong on the right side of the road, 
right? Mm, but of course. <laughs> but it is common sense for someone in the UK that they belong on the left. And that is simply because that's what we've seen our entire life. So then we go into the work environment and let's say that we've got, uh, let's just say that we're using something like Slack to communicate with each other. What is the shared common sense of how much time we should allow until we respond to something? What is the shared <laughs> common sense of how much time we should allow for an email response? Or what about a text message? So you look, you have a discussion with your team and you just list out each of the channels, text messages, email, Slack, whatever it is, your phone calls. How long, let's get together, let's have a conversation, let's agree. How long can we wait? And what should these channels be used for? Can we say that text messages are the bat channel, that they're for emergencies only? So we know if someone sends a text message, it needs to be done within the next several minutes. But we don't put anything into that channel that isn't an emergency. And you have a conversation about what is an emergency. You know, a lot of the stuff that you have at work is not an emergency. It's just an impatiency. Yeah. And your point on common sense there, it's so compelling because people have wildly different expectations. Yes. And this comes up, I've, I've facilitated a few training sessions in, in which we, we have a norms discussion around email and it's just wild. Some, some people are like, oh, you don't need me to reply within an hour? Yes. Oh, wow. And it's just sort of light bulbs go off left and right. It's like, it's some of the easiest result I could deliver in a training, frankly. It's, it's just to have that conversation. And they do it themselves. Yeah, yeah. Which is great. <laughs> And then likewise, I remember, you know, back when, back when I was single and had, you know, some, some dating activity going on, I remember uh, through a friend of a friend, someone said, well, Pete Makaitis is a real jerk. And I thought, uh-oh, <laughs> did, did, oh, did I not communicate that I'm like seeing other people? I thought I made that clear. And I was all, and then and, and apparently the reason I was a jerk was because I didn't reply to a text message for about four hours. And it's like, Sometimes I don't reply to my mom's text messages for like 12 hours because, you know, I have all yeah. my notifications off and my phone is off to the side and I'm in a good work groove. And that's just sort of how I operate. But but it's, it, there is no common sense. It's it's all just sort of the expectations you mutually agree upon with the people you interact with. Right. And, and that illustrates too that, you know, it's not just your team members. You can have those conversations with your customers. There's nothing wrong with educating your customers, you know, saying, hey, if you need to get me for an, a normal thing, send me an email. I'll respond within a business day. If some if you have some catastrophic problem, here's my phone number. Use it for that. So you can have these negotiations, this training, whatever you want to think of it, that we all get on the same page as much as is possible. And again, will that get rid of all switches? No. But will it greatly reduce the switches? Yes. And what it will do is it will help us move from the culture of now to the culture of when. The culture of now says, at work, when I have a question, I want an answer now. I'm going to knock on your door, or at least we used to when we weren't working from home. I'm, I'm going to knock on your door. I'm going to send you a text message. I'm going to give you a phone call. And if you don't answer any of those, I'm going to keep doing it until I get an answer. This just perpetuates switch tasking in our day. If you move to the culture of when, you say, I will respond to everything, and this is when I'm going to do it. This is when you can expect a response. And that one thing alone dramatically saves time and reduces mistakes and helps everybody feel less stressed. That's awesome. Okay. Any other you know, top tips, Dave? Lay it on us. <laughs> well, we kind of danced around this, and this is not going to surprise you at all. Making sure that you have clear time off, making sure that you have a time when you're going to work and when you're not going to work and respecting that, because that's going to help you be more focused when it's time to work. Like I, I just came back after a nice long break, like I mentioned. And so I'm, I, I believe that my success is dependent upon the fact that I did that. Also, though, related to the schedule is scheduling the time for your most valuable activities. You know, if I talk to an average person, they're going to have between five and 25 job descriptions and more, more if they're a business owner, right? And so what I want to do is I want to look at all those different things and say, which of these is most valuable? Which, is the, which of these is worth the most per hour? Or which of these is the hardest to replace or will help you advance in your career the most? And then I want to look at the schedule and say, 
How much time are you spending in this most valuable activity? When is the time of your day or the time of your week when you are least likely to be interrupted? When you can be the most focused, schedule time to work on that most valuable activity during that time. And that not only will reduce the switches, but it increases your value per hour. And to me, that is the, that's the holy grail of productivity is increasing how much you're worth per hour, not how much you make per year. If you increase your annual salary, but you also increase the hours that you spend working, that wasn't a raise. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I'm right with you. Yeah. You're just making more work for yourself. But if we can increase how much you make and decrease the hours that you're working, now that's fantastic. And that gives you the freedom to reinvest that time into whatever else you feel it is worth investing that time into. Hey, man, I totally agree with with you there. And and some people say, hey, that might be easy for you self-employed trainer types to, yeah. to say, but I just have a good friend who who got a job. It's a it's a sales role. And it was pretty awesome. They said uh, right up front, like, hey, you know, we don't care so much like how many hours you work or which hours you work, so long as that you're you're hitting these particular goals of um, new prospect meetings occurring per month. So it's like game on, you know, like if, if he could crack the code on, you know, more compelling communications or whatnot, he can work less or if he wants to hey, you know, work more to, to get more commission. But it, it, it is magical because there are some thresholds like at some point when your hourly compensation rises to one point, it's like, you know what, it now might make sense to have me uh, hire someone to help clean the house. You know, it might make sense for me to hire a handy person you know, for, to fix up some things. And, and then it just can really snowball because you break these thresholds where outsourcing more and more makes great sense. And you're able to deploy that time to either even more wealth creation or, uh, alternative results and fun that, that you want to make happen in life. Yes. And it doesn't have to be limited to someone in sales or someone who runs their own business or whatever it is. Because everything that you just said there is one less thing that you have to think about. One less thing that you have to devote time and attention to, which means less switches. And less switches means you get things done faster with less mistakes, with less stress. And sometimes people hear that too and they go, well, okay, that's great, but I can't hire someone to do this and that. Okay, fine. But you do hire people. You don't make your own hamburger, do you? Not, not most of the time, maybe on the weekend, you go to wherever it is, you go to Wendy's and you hired someone to make that for you. You relieved yourself of the burden of having to think about how to put that thing together. When you hire Uber, you're relieving yourself of the burden of having to spend time driving, which by the way, is one of the least productive things you can possibly do. And you can look at it and say, how can I use technology? to reduce the amount of time I'm spending doing each of these things? How can I outsource one task at a time? Could I use Fiverr? Could I use Upwork to have one person take care of part of this so that I don't, so that I can focus on the thing that I do that is truly amazing and truly valuable. The more you start to be aware of those things, the more you start to do them, the more productive you become. And again, I'm kind of throwing some stuff out here and maybe something's going to going to hold on. No, bro. I, I mean, you just preach it and do it. <laughs> yeah. But, but I go back to that principle of the 2% increase in productivity, right? A 2% increase in productivity is an entire work week every single year. So if you look at the computer you're using, the keyboard that you have, the chair that you're sitting in, all of those things can create switches, right? If I have a chair that is uncomfortable, isn't that going to cause me to switch my attention a few times a day to go, man, I don't feel good. I'm not performing well. I just lost a whole lot of time and a whole lot of value. So it's worth making the investment to get the best quality tools that you can get. I'm sitting here. I've got a mouse in my hand that's a gaming mouse with lots of different buttons <laughs> that, that are assigned to macros. I just upgraded my computer to the best quality. And I like gaming quality stuff because gaming quality is built to demanding specifications. They usually perform better. So I just upgraded my computer for the year. 
that is going to, I, I guarantee that upgrade is going to yield me at least two weeks this year. It's probably about a 4% increase in productivity. And that sounds crazy, but once you start doing the math, you realize, wait a minute, little things really start to add up. Dave, just because I don't know how many of us could dork out on at this level, uh, I wanna, I'm gonna <laughs> join you here. Because I, I've, I've talked to myself about that as well in terms of like, hey, my computer's pretty good. It's 2017. I, I don't feel like I'm often, you know, annoyedly waiting for stuff. By the way, my, yeah. my trick was I got a super fancy SSD, a solid state drive, and plugged it in via a Thunderbolt or USB-C. And that's my boot up drive, which, which I found gave me a lot of acceleration for not a lot of dollars. But let, yeah. Run me through the math. So, uh, well, one, I just love to justify buying new stuff. <laughs> well, but like, so if if I, my computer's, you know, fine, and then I went to top of the line, how do you see that turning into extra minutes for me each day, week, and year? So let's just start with that simple math. 2% increase. So if you're working 52 weeks a year, 2% is one week, right? So if I increase anything that I'm doing by 2% overall, that almost immediately adds up to one week. Yeah. And then we, we ask the question, well, what is my time worth? What is a week's worth of time in terms of my career? And everybody's going to have a different number for that. And then, you know, not to get too crazy with the math, but I, I also like to use the rule of three, which says, if I'm going to invest a dollar in my career and my business, I want to get three back in return. So, I look at that week. Let's say that that one week's of time is worth $1,000. Okay, I'm going to be real conservative here. It's worth $1,000. That means I can invest $300 to increase my productivity by 2%. Make sense? Because yep. I can, or $333. Because if I can invest $333, I'm going to get one week back. And then I'm also going to make money on top of it because of that, that value. And that's, being ultra conservative because in many cases these these time gains stack from year to year i mean i recently did a video about this where i was teaching that concept and some of the things that i've done and i realized looking back over the the 20 years of my career give or take i've probably gained three to four years worth of time Mm -hmm. and that sounds crazy but then you look back and i go wait did i really gain that much time Let's see. I've written five books in that time. Well, actually, written six because I wrote a I wrote a YA novel for fun. <laughs> I've created thirty five courses for for LinkedIn Learning. I've you know I can just start st- stacking out the list. And plus, I'm working less hours than I've worked in my life. It is a real principle, and I'm making more than I've ever made. So little things. It started. 20 years ago with me teach, doing the same principle, looking at my workspace, looking what I'm saying and saying, how can I gain some time? And every little change has added up and made that happen. That's beautiful. And, and so, well, well, here's where I guess the rubber meets the road. So if we want a 2% lift in, in productivity and we're thinking about upgrading your computer, then that means in a 480 minute, you know, eight hour work day, we're going to need a 50th of that, we'll just call it 10 minutes. Do you think you're gaining yep. 10 minutes a day from your uh, upgraded computer? I think that's that's an easy question to answer. I mean, with, in the case of your Thunderbolt drive, didn't you gain 10 minutes? I, I did, but I, I want to see yeah. if I could justify upgrade the whole computer. <laughs> <laughs> well, so in my case, I'm, I'm, so I looked at my computer and I actually had mine, the one I had before was a tank. It was probably coming up on four and a half years. Okay. And, you know, just for tax purposes, purposes, I came to the end of the year and I'm like, well, I, I need to make an investment. So <laughs> that was an easy one to make. And I probably, you know, just looking at benchmark scores, I probably incre- increased the speed of my computer by 30%. Now, am I going to use that full 30% every time? No, but I'm definitely going to get 4 to 5% out of it constantly all the time. Well, I guess that's what I'm wondering. Yeah. Like to zoom in even more, it, it's like... I don't often find that I'm just sitting waiting for my computer to to handle something. Yeah, but that's not the problem or that's not the issue. Okay. The issue is, could you wait less? Could things happen faster than you think? And they can. They always can. 
Not just with the computer, with other things. Are we talking about waiting from like one and a half second to half a second sure. on, on a page load open? Is yeah. that kind of what the yeah. building blocks here? Okay. Yeah. Now I sense I I what I know of you, Pete. You're a not you're an analytical guy. You want to know the numbers, and I confess that I am entrepreneurial. I do entrepreneurial math. <laughs> oh sure. So I generalize broadly, but I have found that my generalizations actually turn out to be quite accurate over time. So yeah, I'm not like sitting down and crunching the numbers on this, but I can go reasonably speaking, am I getting that kind of return? Yes. And am I going to be extra conservative with that assumption? Yes. And it usually turns out to be. And so you've noticed like, hey, when I open up a, a program, I wait less now with my newer computer. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, everything. Chrome opens faster. There are things that I we've done, like, for instance, with video editing, because I know you do. You well, that's stuff huge. That. Amen. Yeah, if you're video editing, you're going to need that. Yeah, yep, and I done. open it up. I'm spending a lot less time with that. Yeah, totally. Okay, that answers that. Video editing is demanding and makes you wait. But here's, here's another thing that you could do. So I use a thing called Phrase Express, and there are things like this. There are phrase macros, right? And so... I found that I was typing the myth of multitasking over and over again. Kind of ironic, right? Uh -huh. So I changed it into a macro where I just type a couple of keys and it spells out the myth of multitasking. You start creating a, a, a framework of that where you've got, you know, 50 to 100 phrases. You just boosted your productivity by 2 to 4% quickly. And that doesn't cost hardly anything or maybe nothing at all to implement that. Oof, Dave, good, good stuff. Tell me, anything else you want to make sure to mention before we shift gears and hear about a couple of your favorite things? Yes. The one thing I would say, and we haven't really hit on this much, is, is the fourth effect. I've talked about the three effects of multitasking, which are, or switch tasking. Things take longer, you make more mistakes, you increase your stress levels. But there's a fourth effect. And this applies even for people who think that they're good multitaskers. They think they can get away with it and still be productive. That's fine. But when you switch task on a human being, even back tasks sometimes, you damage that relationship. And that's unavoidable. Because when you switch task on a human being, you are communicating to them that they are less important than whatever it is you're doing in the moment. And none of us would wake up and start our day and go down and see our spouse and say, hi, honey, you're unimportant. What are you going to do today? <laughs> or you know, someone calls your business, you say, thanks for calling XYZ business where you're unimportant. How can I help you? We would never do that, but that's exactly what we do when we pick up our phone and we're playing with it when our spouse is talking to us or when we're in a Zoom call and we're kind of checking email out of the corner of our eye, we're damaging relationships. Now that's negative. The positive is when you stop doing that, and you focus on human beings, you build relationships because it's unfortunately uncommon to treat people that way now. Mm -hmm. So you stand out when you're someone who gives someone your full attention and you build the relationship and you make them feel important. There are just you know, hundreds of reasons why that's a fantastic thing to do. Beautiful. Thank you. Well, now could you share a favorite quote, something that you find inspiring? I've got it hanging on my wall right here next to me. It's every time you devote time to practice, you haven't lost. You're always a winner. Any guess where that came from? I'm guessing a sports person, but I don't know. No, it's Bob Ross. Oh, lovely. And so that reminds me that I'm always learning. I'm always making mistakes. And sometimes I can get hard on myself, but I remember that every mistake is a practice. And if I'm practicing, I'm always getting better and always winning. Good old Bob Ross. And how about a favorite book? I'm listening to Is This Anything with Jerry Seinfeld. I am inspired by comedians because so much of what they do is very similar to what I do as a speaker and they have to hone their craft. And so I like getting inspiration from uncommon places. So Jerry Seinfeld's given that to me right now. And how about a favorite tool? Something you used to be awesome at your job. I always say the calendar is my favorite tool, but uh, in terms of an app, I, I'm a fan of Evernote. I like the simplicity of it and keeping notes and staying on top of everything. Okay. And tell me, if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them? Well, if they're interested in getting the uh, myth of multitasking, you go to multitaskbook.com. That'll take you right to the Amazon page. And then, of course, my website, davecrenshaw.com. All sorts of free resources there for you. 
And do you have a final challenge or call to action for folks looking to be awesome at their jobs? Pay attention. Pay attention today. Think of, of someone that you're going to talk to, whether it's at work or at home. Practicing at home will help you get better at work. The next person you talk to, give them 100% of your attention. Dave, this has been a treat. Uh, thank you. And I wish you lots of luck in all your single tasking adventures. Thank you. It's been a pleasure, Pete. I got such a kick out of much of what Dave said. And it was fun that we could dork out about the percentage uh, improvement and productivity lift and, and how you can spend money on either tools or outsourcing in order to make the most. And you get a really good snowball effect as your hourly value or income per hour increases more and more tools investments and outsourcing make sense, which then liberates all the more time for you to do all the more high value stuff. So a cool flywheel or snowball or momentum builder reminds me of like video game as, as you get better and you level up and more things open up. And, and Dave suggested the game Slay the Spire after we ended the recording, which I played and was fun for the record, if you're curious. But I think the, the biggest takeaway, other than uh, cool games that I grabbed from Dave, is that missing minute. Whew. One, I love good alliteration, uh, meh, meh sound on the missing minute. But more importantly, it's so true that if, if I'm doing almost anything for a good while, like a podcast interview or doing some, some deep work somewhere or as you mentioned, maybe even watching a, a show on Netflix, when my attention is, is focused on one thing for a long time, that itch, that drive to, to check something else, to, to switch immediately is sort of like growing over time. And it's sort of like, you, you just want to itch it immediately. Scratch that itch. So it's like, what's in my email? What's in my text messages? What's on Facebook? Ah, you know, and so I've sort of noticed that that's there. And then to deliberately choose, you know what? I am going to take a minute to do nothing in between these two things. And it really does make a nice impact in terms of the mental peace. So maybe I'll be able to crank out a bunch of books and a bunch more LinkedIn learning courses like Dave and have time for games and fun as well, which is fun and important. Check out that previous interview with Dave about just how having fun is so important and makes a world of difference in your actual productivity and performance. So again, those show notes, the transcript, and the links to items we've referenced, you can find right on over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP632. Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation. You can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers, subscribe to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice. If you'd like some extra help figuring out podcasts and how subscriptions work, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash subscribe for guidance. Hope to catch you on the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job. Let's jump into Peppa's world of play. Look for spring flowers, hunt for muddy puddles, and bravely explore exciting places with Peppa play sets. Peppa Pig. Inspiring kid confidence.